Good morning, brothers and sisters. Walter and Kathy are on a well-deserved family vacation, uh, so they will uh, be back with us shortly, but we certainly want to remember uh, them and their family in our prayers. Uh, I want to, again, extend a very special, a very warm welcome to those of you who are visiting with us this morning. It's great to have you. We hope that you will stick around uh, for our Bible classes afterwards and let us get to know you. Uh, It is a sincere honor and privilege um, not only to be your brother in Christ, uh, but to be here this morning. And hopefully our hearts and minds are prepared and ready to be attentive to what God has to say to us in his word. It is my sincere hope and prayer that Even as I stand up here, all of us can be uh, students of God's word and take what we learn, what we hear from the Holy Spirit, what we're convicted about, and walk through those doors uh, as changed people throughout the course of the week. You will notice at the beginning and end of today's outline uh, that there are are some questions or some scenarios, um, and this is what I would call uh, homework. Uh, Here's what I would like us to do with this homework. First of all, I want us to be thinking about the things that are listed at the beginning and the end of the outline. Certainly think about those things and consider them this morning, uh, but it's also my hope and prayer that we will think and consider those things, think about and consider those things throughout the course of the week. So that's the first part of the homework. The second part of the homework is actually to uh, fill in the answers uh, to the following blanks. Uh, Number one, list three ways that you are intentionally allowing yourself to be poured into in order to be a better and stronger man or woman of God. Number two, list three ways that you are intentionally pouring yourself out into others so that they may clearly see Jesus Christ and his love. Number three, who are three individuals that you are intentionally allowing to pour into you so that you can be a stronger and better man or woman of God. And finally, who are three individuals that you are intentionally pouring into so that they can see Jesus Christ and his love? So actually answering these questions is part two of the homework. And then part three of the homework is this. It's finding one person uh, here at Netherwood to share those answers with and have that person Uh, share their answers with you. It can be your spouse, it can be a friend, um, it can be a family member, uh, but the intention is to generate some conversation. And so you may have to um, call someone over the phone, you may have to text someone, uh, you may have to share a meal with someone, but to share your answers. Um, If you're wondering why homework, it's fairly simple from my perspective. Um, I don't get the opportunity uh, very much to, to, to come up here and preach or speak or whatever you want to call it, Um, but I started reflecting on the times when I have had those opportunities, and I think a lot of times what happens uh, is we talk about doing the right things, we talk about what God's Word says, uh, but I think as a leader, I, I wonder if I provide opportunities to practice what we oftentimes talk about and read about, uh, and so that's the reason for the homework, um, Three parts, I'll repeat it at the, at the end as well. And so my hope, my expectation is not just um, to speed through this so you can get it done and, and say that you have finished it, but the hope and expectation uh, is 
that we will learn some things. We will learn some things about the nature of God. We will learn some things about ourselves, and hopefully we'll learn some things um, about our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. Please pray with me. Father, we are privileged, honored, like Joe prayed about earlier, to be able to even wake up this morning. And Father, there are times where um, we take that for granted. And so, Father, we want to say we're sorry. We want to do better and be better. Father, we pray that um, our gratitude would increase moment by moment and day by day. Father, for the things that you have done for us, for the things that you are doing, for your movement in this world, for your activity in our hearts and and minds. Father, this morning as we open up your word, um, this series has uh, has been challenging and has been convicting and has been heavy in a lot of ways. Um, But, Father, we are grateful for the ways in which uh, this has revealed more of your nature and more of your love and more of your expectations for us. So, Father, we want to pray a special blessing, um, a special blessing over us as we receive your word. Father, help us to receive it with humility, with joy, uh, Father, with wonder as well. We pray that you would be exalted, and we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The woman that is uh, pictured above with sunshine will always hold an extremely special place in my heart and mind. Her name is Shannon Buis, and she currently lives in Phoenix, Arizona. But we actually met in Seattle, Washington, where we both lived. I was two of her three kids' youth minister, So we have shared many moments together. Although she has a larger-than-life personality, I think she would definitely characterize herself as being a little timid when it comes to sharing her faith. But Shannon Buis is a woman who made a decision to get outside of herself and outside of her comfort zones and ask her co-worker, Sunshine, who is now my wife, to come to a Bible study. After this initial invitation, Sunshine, Shannon, and a couple of other individuals began to study the Bible together for 10 months. And after 10 months of studying, Sunshine became a Christian. A few weeks ago, one of Sunshine's nephews from Seattle was visiting here in Albuquerque. And he and I were having a conversation at dinner, and he said, I can't believe Auntie Sunshine is into God. I never would have thought that about her. And I asked him why, and he kind of gave me a a puzzled, a funny glance, and he said, did you know her before she was a Christian? And I said, well, I've heard, but I really didn't know her that well. When I consider what it means and looks like to pour into another person, I think of Shannon Buis, because she poured into my wife, in life-altering ways. And the ripple effects of Shannon pouring into my wife are still felt today. However, as much as Shannon poured into sunshine, it's nothing in comparison to how God pours into us. 
to how he pours into you and me. How can we know for certain that God has and continues to pour into you and me? We'll get into this a little bit later, but our text for this morning is Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. And hopefully most of us are aware of the series that Walter has currently been going through and the charges that God is bringing against his people. And I do think it's been a difficult series. And it's been a difficult series because there are lots of sobering things that God is saying to his people that have implications for us today. But I also think it's been a series that has been beautiful because it has everything to do with what his people were pouring out in light of what had been poured into them. And as we consider these things today, I want us to think about what God has poured into us. What has God poured into you personally? I would also like us to think about, do our lives daily pour out an accurate representation of what has been poured into us by an almighty and an all-powerful God? Please turn and read with me in Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. God is constantly making earth-shattering statements in scripture. And we come to another one of these in verse 6 where he says, "I the Lord do not change." And we may say or think, "Okay, God, what's the big deal with you not changing?" And I believe the answer is found in the latter part of verse 6 where God says, "Here's one of the results of me being the God that does not change." You, my people, aren't going to be destroyed. Although I have every reason to do so, and although you've asked for it in every single way. This is absolutely, in the midst of sobering, convicting charges, fantastic news for these people. And it's great news for us today as well. Because we see in God that his nature is to pardon And his nature is to forgive. But he's also saying, you can trust me. What can we trust about God? We can trust his 
incredible design. I told the youth ministry class a few weeks ago that one of the most important passages in all of Scripture, in my opinion, is Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, where God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit created humanity in the image of God. This means that there is more to you and I than what we can physically see with our eyes. It also means that you and I have an extremely significant and extremely significant purpose and mission every single day, every moment of every day. That when we wake up and have breath in our lungs, we don't have to go about our days in this ho-hum, ordinary fashion where we are just existing rather than thriving. We have a purpose and mission to rise up and gratefully and joyfully bear the image of the Almighty God in every single situation. Trusting God's incredible design means that I have an identity and that my identity is not defined by my performance, good or bad, and everything in between. My identity is not defined by my family. It's not defined by my job. It's not defined by my boyfriend or girlfriend. It's not defined by my circumstances. God poured a beautiful design into me, but I think it's important that we ask the question, for what reasons? For what purposes? And it wasn't so that we could just live an ordinary existence. The bottom line is that the ways in which God's people were living in Malachi were so far, for, so far removed from what God had poured into them and from what God was pouring into them. God not changing means that you and I can trust his heart of generosity. These covenant breakers, as Walter calls them in, in Malachi, but most importantly, as God sees them, certainly didn't deserve for the Heavenly Father to return to them. They deserve much worse and far less. They didn't deserve any second chances after they spit in the face of the one who poured a perfect design into them. We could go on and on about what they deserved, but I also think it's important to understand that's us. That's you and me. And yet here we sit as forgiven people only through the blood of Jesus Christ. You and I have been forgiven by a perfect God and it's cause for constant celebration and rejoicing because of God's heart of generosity. I dare say if someone gave you a million dollars tax-free or even with taxes there would be some celebration that was evident. Your countenance, your body language, everything would change. Do we think about that on a daily basis? Do we think about that when we walk into the doors of this auditorium? Does our body language, does our countenance clearly state we're celebrating we're celebrating God's heart of generosity. God not changing means that 
you and I can trust his incomparable love. Nothing and no one will love better than God. Not my spouse, not my family, not my kids, not my job, not even my church family, not my boyfriend, not my girlfriend, not my work friends, not my school friends. Nothing and no one will love better than God. I do believe that all of us thirst for this love, but oftentimes we seek to quench this thirst with things and people that, quite frankly, do such a poor job of loving in comparison to Jesus. Not only do we seek to quench our thirst for love, we actually do quench this thirst, at least temporarily, with things and people that have not been designed to love better than the creator of the universe. And then we wonder why we end up at times feeling empty or hopeless or helpless. Perfect love has been poured into us. Beautiful love has been poured into us. There's no denying that. But I think the question is, what do we do with what's been poured into us? God not changing means that you and I can trust his flawless faithfulness. Let's be clear that God's flawless faithfulness doesn't mean that every single thing is going to go our way. In fact, God's flawless faithfulness has nothing at all to do with things going my way. But it has everything to do with God constantly showing up to accomplish his will and to have his way in this world, in our lives, in our hearts, and in our minds. I love Jeremiah 29, 11 and Romans 8, 28. But I hate how these passages have been misrepresented, misrepresented throughout history. God certainly does have plans for his people as he states in Jeremiah 29. But consider that he makes this statement to his people, a people that are about to go into exile for years. God certainly works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But God's definition of good oftentimes is not my definition of good. God has poured his perfect faithfulness into us, but this is not about us. God's not changing means that you and I can trust his perfect standards. Standards that sometimes we do not understand and standards that sometimes we do not like. One of my favorite passages in all of the Bible is in 2 Kings 5 where Naaman is healed of leprosy. We don't have time to read the story, but I would encourage you to read it and meditate about the lessons that God has for us in this story. Naaman is a man who wants to be cleansed of a wretched disease And when God lays out the plan for him to be cured of this disease, you would expect Naaman to be ecstatic. But we don't see that happening. What we see happening, in fact, is Naaman is furious. Because what God details as his standards and his plan is not what Naaman had envisioned. And here's a stunner. God doesn't care. 
Now, he does indeed care about Naaman and his physical condition and his spiritual condition, but God has very very clearly laid out his standards of what he wants Naaman to do. We have the same God today who has not taken a hands-off approach to us. He hasn't left us wondering about how to follow in his steps. But we must be people whose confidence resides in the God who knows what's best for us, even when we don't like it. And even when that doesn't seem like it's the case. It's interesting because after God, call, after God tells his people in Malachi 3 that he will return to them if they return to him. They ask how they can return as if they've done nothing wrong. As if, they are, as if there are no issues. And then we see our Lord going off. It's important to understand that God isn't going off because he doesn't love these people. After all, they are his people. He is going off because he is so appalled at what they are pouring out in light of what's been poured into them. And in light of this going going off, we're able to capture what it means and looks like to trust the God of the universe in actions And not just words. We're also able to capture what God actually wants of you and me to do with what he has so richly poured into us. Trusting God and using what God has poured into us has to be more than just, hey, I believe it. And now I'm good. That's the easy part. And God lets his own people know this quite clearly. If we are people who trust God in actions, we will recognize what we are owed. I become more and more convinced that we live in a society of entitlement. And as someone who works a great deal with teens, the conversation of entitlement and selfishness usually revolves around them and the millennial generation. But I'll tell you this also. In my experience with teens who I agree can be selfish and entitled, it's the adults around them, whether it's parents or other influential, influential adults, who not only allow these behaviors and attitudes, but they also perpetuate it and endorse it. We need to be people who are extremely cautious in thinking about and discussing what we are owed in this life and what we are entitled to in this life. Because when we read passages like Romans 3.23 coupled with Romans 6.23, both passages let us know God does indeed owe us something. And what he owes us is death. This reality begins to put some things in very sobering perspective when we are when we consider what we're owed, but also, and to me more importantly, when we consider what we've been given. If we are men and women who are trusting in God, not changing, we will be men and women who rejoice in what we have been given. When we take time to intentionally recognize the magnitude of what the Lord has poured into us, the focus is taken off of ourselves and put onto him. 
when God's people in Malachi asked the Lord, how have we robbed you? They failed to understand that rejoicing in what they had been given and being grateful are more than just feelings. Gratitude is thankfulness in action. Much has been said about the concept of tithing throughout the years. And while we don't have time to adequately unpack the Old Testament and covenant principle of tithing, it is interesting to note that God specifically references the concept when revealing to his people how they've robbed him. The concept of tithing is introduced fairly early in Scripture in Genesis 14, but it's not until Leviticus 27 where tithing becomes a covenant command and principle in the law. When the concept of giving is discussed in the church, which interestingly enough isn't all that often, the giving of one-tenth of a person's income is frequently utilized as a bar of what people should give. However, it's interesting to note that even in the Old Testament principle of tithing set forth by God, the giving of 10% was just a starting point. In other words, it was the minimum that was required by the law. In Malachi 3, notice that God doesn't accuse the people of not tithing. Rather, God's accusation against them is rooted in the sad reality that they are holding back what they have and not giving him the best. So while we can get caught up in the discussion of tithing because of what we find in this passage, it's extremely important to not miss the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is the issue of holding back from the Lord. In Genesis chapter 4, we find a story about Cain and Abel who are brothers. A very familiar story if you spent any time around a church setting. We oftentimes reduce this story to being a story about the first murder in the Bible where Cain kills Abel out of his jealousy. But I believe it's more a story about what it means and looks like to not hold back from God. It's more a story about what it means and looks like to bring God our absolute best every day. You may ask, and hopefully you do ask, why? Why does it even matter to the creator that I bring him my best? Because I can't repay him for what he's done. And I would say this, we are people who God the creator has richly poured into. I exist not because God had nothing better to do with his time. I have new life in Jesus Christ if I am a Christian And this isn't just to coast through life. You and I have been designed to be about God's business in every way possible. So, when I and when we trust the Lord, this means that you and I will pour out what has been so perfectly poured into us. It's about this time as human beings that we begin to ask questions like, well, tell me, what does giving everything to God actually mean and look like? 
Tell me, what does holding back from God actually involve? I do believe those are valid questions to consider. But to me, those questions are similar to sitting in a college class, listening to your instructor review the syllabus on the first day, and looking on the syllabus for the range of points that will produce the grade that you desire. When we consider pouring out, because we have been poured into, I believe what does this include is the wrong question to ask. A better question to ask would be, What does this not include? Can you imagine Jesus coming to this earth and having the following mentality? What areas of my life can remain untouched and off limits to my heavenly father while I still live in full submission to him? It seems ridiculous to even consider this. And I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. Saying I have lived like that many times. And I still wrestle with living like that many times. Pouring out involves all of me. My heart, my mind, my work, my relationships, my goals, my business endeavors, everything. And if we want to walk in the steps of Jesus, and keep in mind, it's not a forced decision. Jesus doesn't force anyone to follow him. But if I want to make that decision to daily walk in the steps of Jesus, I have to be in the ongoing process of learning and practicing what it means to give all of myself in being poured out. In Malachi 3.9, God tells his people that their whole nation is under a curse because they've robbed him. We can't lose sight of the fact that verse 9 is also tied to verse 12 in which God promises that all the other nations around them will see how blessed God's people are if God's people would actually just trust God to do what he says and trust him in action. There is a not-so-subtle principle present in this passage that God's people are supposed to be a light to the nations around them and to the cultures around them. We can go on and on about how the United States isn't doing this and be in an uproar about the current state of things here in this nation and many other nations. But the reality is this. God's people, Christian men, Christian women, who are about kingdom business, are supposed to be leading their nation. And not having the very sad and quite fruitless expectation that the nation of which they are a part is supposed to be leading them. I've, I've said it up here before, and I'll say it again. We shouldn't have the expectation that lost people are going to act saved and that those who don't know Jesus are going to act like they do. One of the reasons that I love the book of Daniel is because you have people of God changing the culture around them, not because they are ranting about how bad the culture is. They're changing the culture around them through God's power and ability because they are living as lights and living as lights in their communities 
and living differently than the world around them. God has richly poured into us so that we can lead the charge in being poured out and pointing others to him. This automatically puts us in positions of leadership, regardless of what titles we do or do not hold. We don't teach people nearly enough, in my opinion, that if and when you're going to become a Christian, you are automatically a leader. That's the way God has designed things. God makes some incredible promises in verses 10 through 12 of Malachi 3. And these promises are tied to God's incredible faithfulness. He wants his people to test him. Which if you're paying attention, you'd think, well, wait a second. That contradicts other places in scripture. But it's not to test him for the sake of gaining their own way but for the sake of them understanding the abundant provisions of God. God lets his people know that he will provide them every single thing they need and then some more. That's the God that we serve. The challenge for you and me is to have hearts and minds that are aligned with God in what we need as opposed to what we want. God lets his people know that he will make all things new. And it's not just when we get to heaven. I think it's great to look forward to that. It's in the here and now. We do live in a world that has great darkness. But we also live in a world that God's power is touching and can touch every single day and every single moment. Jesus speaks about this in Matthew chapter 6 verse 10 when he says, Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is possible in the here and now. God lets his people know that he will show up over and over. We serve a God who has not chosen to be distant from us. He didn't want to be distant from the people in Malachi. And he doesn't want to be distant To us in 2016. The next picture is of our adult sponsors that attended our youth ministry retreat at the end of October. On Saturday night of that retreat, we had a time of extended worship, which included meditation, reflection, prayer, and so much more. I don't believe that words will adequately capture some of the work that the Holy Spirit did that night through these ordinary human beings who, cho- who chose to pour themselves out for the sake of our students. And I think if you ask them, they would just tell you, well, I just went because I was asked. The next picture is of our entire group that attended the retreat. God has poured into every single human being, and now he takes great risk in allowing every single human being the free will decision of what they are going to do with his pouring into them. Being poured out because we have been poured into doesn't just happen automatically. It's not something that is just natural. 
And it's not what is natural because it's only possible because of a God who is supernatural. On the Saturday night of extended worship at the retreat, I had one of our young men talk at length to me about wanting to do what God wants him to do with his future. And the path that he was currently on, and not a sinful path, I would say, was a path that he wanted, but wasn't sure if God wanted it. I had young men and young women who sought me out, not so that I could pray for them, but so that they could pray for me and for sunshine and for the youth ministry here and for this church. This picture and these souls are beautiful reminders of what God can do, I believe, when we pour out what has been poured into us. So we come back to our homework for this week. I don't think these are easy things to consider because they do require some self-examination. They do require me asking some questions like, who am I allowing into my life in more than a superficial way? What am I doing with what God has poured into me? So remember that there are three parts to the homework, and the last part is to actually choose someone to share your responses with and allow that person to share their responses with you. This morning, we are a blessed people, a blessed people certainly because we were able to wake up and come into this auditorium and sing Not only sing, but sing praises to our God. But as we walk through the doors this morning, hopefully we will consider what am I doing with what God has poured into me? Because he has expectations about that. And not to be mean, but because of the depth of love that he has for us. In a minute, we're going to stand and sing after I lead us in prayer. But if you need the prayers of this church, this church will pray. And this church will pray fervently. We will have shepherds in room 104. If you walk to the back of the auditorium, someone will direct you. And if you don't feel comfortable with that, grab someone. Call someone on the phone. And let them know how they can pray for you. After this prayer, we'll stand and sing. Please pray with me. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that is in your word. Father, we we thank you that you know what's best for us all of the time. And Father, we confess we can, we can certainly be stubborn. And Father, we can certainly have our own agendas and want our own ways. And so, Father, we thank you for being patient with us. But Father, help us to understand that your patience is supposed to lead us to repentance, to be different.
to turn towards you, to cling to you. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the songs that we were able to see, sing. Father, thank you for learning from your word. We pray, Lord, that our hearts and our minds have been changed this morning. We pray that as we walk through those doors, that you will continue to work in us to change our hearts and minds. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Say your life, O shepherd, be God.